Our communion meditation is from Psalm 37. I'll read verses 16 through 20. 37, 16 to 20. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the significance of it, the beauty of it, uh, the truth of it, and the uh, fact that it will come to pass, that we have your word on it. And we pray now, Lord, please open our eyes and our hearts and our wills uh, to be conformed into the image of your Son. We give you thanks for this, your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Our first verse here is, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. And this is a principle that underlies this verse. And it's actually a principle that I think we understand. It's just put here very uh, uh, simply, and so you can kind of overlook it. And the reality, though, is that wealth is relative. In other words, even wealth on this earth is relative. Uh, we live in America, and we are said to be among the wealthiest people on earth. And we are when it comes to money and, and the way in which we live, the comforts that we have. Uh, Scott even enumerated them earlier. As, as a matter of fact, I would say that this is part two of the communion meditation today because our messages will dovetail, I think, beautifully. So uh, yet, yes, Americans are very wealthy. Even poor Americans are very wealthy. When I drove around, uh, I've mentioned this before perhaps years ago, but when I would drive around Millington, Tennessee, uh, in the rural areas, I don't think I saw one home that didn't have a humongous television antenna sticking out of it. I don't care how shabby that house was. It could be a shack. But they had a, probably a very nice television in that shack. And uh, until this past Christmas, most poor people in this country probably had bigger TV than me. Uh, I, finally, I finally broke down and got a big screen TV at Christmas or at Thanksgiving. But uh, anyway, in material possessions, yes, Americans are extremely wealthy. But, but money is not the only measure of wealth. And we are foolish to think that it is. It is a simplification, and yet it is one that we are all prone to. We are all prone to buy the lie that Americans are the wealthiest people on earth, because in many respects, they're not. Uh, for instance, uh, family. Uh, I think in terms of family, there are, there are many other nations on this earth that have a higher regard for family, a higher value for family. They, they enjoy family life more. And there are some that lack family entirely. Uh, something that I indulge in periodically is watching my favorite Britain's Got Talent videos on YouTube. And uh, I, still, I still cry, I think, every time I, I see either Paul Potts or uh, Susan Boyle in their first audition at that show. I don't know if you've seen those, but they are incredibly moving. These nobodies coming up there and just wowing everybody, totally, totally uh, possessing the audience. 
And uh, so that's something I indulge in. I, I've probably watched Susan Boyle 20, 30 times. And uh, Paul Potts the same. And I remember I first saw that from Phil's bloop, Bible Blueprints uh, email a few years back. But anyway, there was a show I watched yesterday I'd never seen before. And this was actually Korea's Got Talent or whatever. And uh, there's this young Korean boy, he's 15, and he gets up there and he wows them. But not before they hear his story. And he's got two of these women on this panel crying even before he starts singing because he's an orphan. They asked him, do you have anybody here with you? No. Uh, Oh, why is that? Well, you know, at three I was put in the orphanage and at five I ran away from the orphanage because I was, you know, being uh, molested and beaten there. And so I've been living on the streets for 10 years. So this kid came to audition and he had been living on his own for 10 years, didn't have any family. And so these women are crying, the the judges. But then he sang wonderfully, and so he was worthy of progressing beyond the next stage. But anyway, family. We have a wealth of family. We have not only our blood family, but our spiritual family. We are wealthy in terms of our family. And then there are the concept of friends. And again, the part two uh, comes into question because uh, Scott was kind of taken to task for some of the feedback he got on his gun comment on Facebook. You know, he was going to get his concealed uh, carry and then some guy in Norway that he's friends with uh, runs him down for it. Why do you need a gun if you're not going to plan to kill people? Well, he explained very eloquently, you know, Scott. But so anyway... (laughs) Now everybody that, that, is, that is acquaintances with Scott, I wouldn't even say that we have friends on Facebook, right? For the most part, many are acquaintances. I mean, I don't know that Ben, if he's like over a thousand now, I would assume he is, Ben, uh, uh, what's his last name? Yes, Ben Luters. Uh, see, I'm a friend of his, and I don't even remember his last name. So, so, so I guess he's going to call me a, an acquaintance from now on. But so in Facebook, we measure one another by the number not the quality. See, and it's not the quantity really, it's the greatest thing, right? It's the quality of your friendship with these people. So, health. You recognize this phrase, if you have your health, you have everything. Another oversimplification. But it is powerful, isn't it? We who have health problems or who have had or who deal with people who have them, they're huge. They dominate your life. And so we know that to have your health is to have a significant blessing on this earth. And yet, some of the people that suffer with health problems or suffer with those that have them will describe what they're experiencing after the fact as a blessing. I mean, they know that it taught them more about their own character and the character of God than if they had not had those. So even health can be oversimplified. Yes, we have our health. But even our health issues can challenge us and can be a form of wealth because they educate us about what is eternal. And now the last one I wanted to bring up is happiness. Another form of wealth is happiness. And I mentioned a few years ago in a sermon that in a worldwide study, Africans are happier than Americans. They live in dung huts with thatch roofs. They walk two miles to get water. They live in constant threat of military invasion. But they're happier than us on average. Isn't that shocking? And that is a form of wealth. These people live happy lives, mostly probably because of tight families. But so anyway, money is only one measure. But haven't we had a lesson in that this week with the mega lottery? $656 million to be split between three people, one from the Baltimore area, one from Kansas, and one from Podunk, Illinois. Red Oak or whatever it's called. It has a population of 4,000 people. 
We don't know who they are yet, but probably we will. And yet, even there, we have a lesson to learn because I read an article about former lottery winners. Some of them lead sad lives. This one lady not only won the New Jersey lottery once, she won it twice, 85 and 86. And so she won over $5 million. And yet, 11 years ago, she went into a shelter because she'd gambled it all away at Atlantic City. This other man, Jack Whitaker from Virginia, he and his wife won $315 million. And yet within two years, his granddaughter was dead of a drug overdose. He had been sued. Until that time, he'd been a very successful businessman. But when people found he won all that money, they started suing him like crazy. He himself went out to a club and got drugged and had uh, his, his briefcase full of money from his car stolen. And so he was under attack. He had given $50 million away, and yet people still felt he was being stingy. Not to mention the $50 million that the IRS took when he won. <laughs> so he gave away $100 million maybe. So anyway, money is a measure of wealth, yes, but it is not even the best measure. All the other measures are better measures. Now, verse, 17, verse 16 says, A little that a righteous man is better than the riches of many wicked. That's meant to be a comparative statement to say, don't get lost with our simple materialistic measures in our culture. And, frankly, take advantage of them. My, uh, a nephew of mine commented, I didn't win the lottery, big, you know, on Facebook with a, with a sad smiley face. And I just wrote back saying, you know, maybe that's a blessing. I don't know that he will see it that way, but... Verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. True, true wealth, and true a measure of any wealth, is that it's lasting. As a matter of fact, that's one of the, uh, the uh, uh, attributes of money, a valid currency in our society, is that it is lasting, it holds its value. And the reality is that no wealth you possess on this earth holds its value beyond the grave. All that I've mentioned pretty much is stuff that will end with this life. The family that we have, the, the friends that we have, the health that we have, the happiness that we have, it all transitions from material to beyond this material, to the immortality, the immortal that we will possess if we are children of God. So see, any measure of wealth must be a lasting measure. It must stand the test of time. Jesus said this. It was, it was when he had said it is uh, impossible or, or most difficult for uh, the wealthy to enter heaven. And the apostles were surprised. And Peter said, but we have left family for you and homes for you. And this is what Jesus said. There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus promised material blessing, spiritual blessing, happiness, all of these many measures of wealth, he promised it here in this earth. Even with the difficulties that we have, we will still have so much wealth to enjoy and to share with others, and in the age to come, eternal life. So see, that's lasting wealth. But these are blessings and cursings that affect us here on earth too. It's not just heaven. It's here. These lessons are to be learned here. Now, by all measures, our wealth is great. As believers, by far the greatest. For instance, life will live forever. 
That can't be beaten. I, was, I attended a traffic school yesterday because I'd been bad recently, <laughs> and, and I got caught. And uh, my teacher mentioned that uh, he was reading an article how about our children and our grandchildren are going to live to be 90 to 100 years old, and isn't that wonderful? And, and you know, science is doing all these wonderful things. And I thought to myself, well, that's good. You know, I don't know that we can count on that. And also, it is the rare, rare 90-year-old that uh, will have Tabitha uh, sweating it out with Zumba. I mean, it's just people's bodies age. They get frail. They get fragile. We don't have the same enjoyment of life at 90, at least physically, as we did at, at 30. And so I don't know that I'll be bragging about the fact that we're all going to live to be over 100 one day because I'm not looking forward to that so much. I'm looking forward to what's beyond that, where that frailty will dissipate with us taking on immortal flesh. Health. Revelation 21.4, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. So we have perfect health in heaven. I was asking my wife, I, I love asking people about heaven because it really, I, I want them to stretch their way of thinking. Bill and I were talking about it recently, I talk about it with a lot of people, and, uh, and we talked about it here at the introduction. But I believe that, well, next one, money. <laughs> All the universe is God's, right? We will inherit the earth. God has already promised us the earth. He even gave us the earth once, right? He gave it to Adam. He's going to get it back. We're going to take dominion of, of it. And yet, the creation groans and travails in pain, and we are being redeemed. So see, what that teaches you is the economics of God. He is a recycler. He's recycling us. He's recycling this earth. I'm not big on recycling. I must admit, I am averse to it because people see it as the salvation through Gaia the earth. But God is a recycler, so I don't want to toss out the whole concept of recycling. And so, God is not wasteful. And I don't believe the moon above and the stars in the heavens are there just for us to look at. I believe in the hereafter, we will be explorers of the universe. There are billions of stars in our galaxy. There are billions of galaxies in our universe with billions of stars in them. I believe he will employ us for eternity, populating the universe. I can't cite book, chapter, and verse on that. <laughs> but I think that is true. It is consistent with God's character. And it is consistent with how he's blessed us on the earth and what he's commanded us to do on the earth. And it is remarkable to me that the humans have a hunger for this. Look how popular space and science fiction shows are. We have a hunger for space exploration. We can't get anywhere fast. It's all slow. So when we live forever, time doesn't matter as much, does it? So now we can go anywhere we want. It just takes a long time. You can get anywhere you want to. It just takes a long time. So anyway, that's my thing. I, I, I know you can't refute me. I know I can't prove it, but we'll find out one day. But the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. This communion meditation is about setting your eyes on the eternal that awaits you. The title is Lasting Wealth, and so don't be deceived by the winners of the Mega Millions Lottery. If they are unbelievers, that last will not wealth. 
I mean, that wealth will not last. I've been up here too long. So here the wicked are compared to the splendor of the meadows. And I think maybe people can relate to this. Have you ever been in a meadow or something like that where for an instant it just appears so beautiful? The sun is hitting just right. The wind is blowing just beautifully. But then two minutes later a cloud comes over and now it's not like it was before. It's, it's just not as beautiful. I think that's what is in mind here. And also smoke, obviously. It's just here it seems real and then it's gone. There's nothing there. You can't catch smoke, you can't see smoke after it dissipates. Uh, once again, years ago, I'd contrasted my personal wealth with that of Bill Gates. I don't know if you remember this, but I wanted to have an illustration. I wanted to understand it just from a personal level. My walking down the hall at work and plunking five, no, not six quarters into the soda machine to get a soda out, a 20-ounce soda for a buck and a half, is the equivalent of Bill Gates going down to the Lexus dealer and buying a new Lexus. He can buy Lexuses like I buy sodas at work. That's pretty remarkable. But given our eternal, lasting, infinite wealth, it is reversed. Unless Bill Gates humbled himself and came to faith, he is the one that is in the position of buying the sodas and me buying the Lexuses. That's the reality. That is an illustration that I think can stick with you to understand how important it is that we keep our eyes focused on the future and not be beguiled by this present world. God will use all of what we've learned here, all of how we exist here, I believe, as the foundation of a life in heaven that is beautiful and wonderful. When I preached on heaven and hell a couple years ago, what I was kind of surprised by was the number of Christians, Bible-believing Christians, that are not motivated to go to heaven because they think they're going to be bored. I just, I just find that hard to believe that people's imaginations are so limited. God is wonderful. We will not be bored. We just can't imagine what God knows. He knows. It says right here, the Lord knows the days of the upright. That's not just days that account here on the earth, right? That's days that apply on into infinity. God knows all of our days, these days and those days. So we know that he will bless us because he's a good God and he loves us and he's promised us this. So now as we come to the table, I want us to know that we are, we are the wealthiest people by far on this earth. Those that know God, those that are loved by God are wealthy beyond belief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reality of your word uh, that really does uh, defy our imagination. Uh, we cannot understand. And so that's why I think you spend so little time even explaining what awaits us in the hereafter. Because, Lord, we just cannot imagine it given the fact that we live in the here and now. And so we pray, Father, that you would fire our imaginations and fuel our earthly conduct to where we live in obedience to you, not for fear, not for uh, desire of wealth, but, Father, for thankfulness for how you have blessed us. And, Father, it is not just all that we will experience, but it is your presence that is the ultimate gift. And so we thank you for that. And we ask you now to bless us with this uh, uh, crackers and, and wine uh, that become to us grace and fuel for our spirits. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
and ask your blessing. Amen.